0: Chapter Eight, Under the Microscope. While reading Passage to Juno, Jonathan Rayban's story of his sailboat voyage from Seattle to Alaska, I am impressed with several things. First, he expertly merges historical data with his present-day adventures. Second, he uses a microscope. When the author poses microscope, out of its cage to examine the contents of the local seawater. I entertain thoughts of my own investigation of microscopic creatures living below my boat. I have not looked through a microscope in decades, in fact not since an undergraduate biology class. A microscope is not an instrument that has particularly intrigued my scientific mind. My infatuation with telescopes and astronomy never extended to the microscopic world although I am now amazed that I could go through life ignoring this realm of nature. When I visualize Jonathan Rabin's microscope coming out of its case to examine the tiny creatures within the local seawater I'm immediately hooked. But like many of my other interests it is an enthusiasm that is pushed to the back of my mind awaiting ignition by some other event. Later in the year while visiting a friend on the Washington shore of the Strait of Juan de Fuca, I sit back and enjoy the conversation as it turns to science. Gary is a lot like me. He's enthralled with the world of science, but never pursued a professional career in the field. He proudly gives me a tour of his mineralogy laboratory, which lies partially unpacked after his recent move to the Pacific Northwest. Gary shows me his extensive mineral collection and a long shelf of books on mineralogy. Then he pulls the plastic cover off his microscope. It's a beautiful instrument, professional lab quality with stereoscopic binocular eyepieces to provide a spectacular view of Gary's prize specimens. It reminds me of the microscope in Passage to Juno. I picture myself anchored in a remote bay settling into the boat's cabin and removing my microscope from its case. I visualize myself examining a slide prepared from a few drops of local seawater. Microscopic creatures of immense variety swim into view. Of course, I don't own a microscope. I suspect that modern microscopes have come a long way since my college days. Look at what has occurred in telescopes in the last few decades. Surely microscopes have experienced a similar dramatic evolution, rising astronomically, so to speak, in technology while simultaneously dropping in price. A check on the internet with the Google words microscope discount leads to web pages that confirm my suspicions. Microscopes for amateurs have definitely spiraled upward in technology and downward in cost. But it takes further research to understand the basics of modern microscopes. The variety of instruments is daunting. Most of the newer scopes boast stereoscopic views and digital photographic capabilities. I soon learned that I need neither. In fact, these impressive microscopes are designed for the kind of work Gary does with minerals They're stereoscopic low power magnification of solid objects. For what I want to do, examining the translucent tiny specimens, a higher-powered compound traditional microscope is more appropriate. I decide to let these ideas sit for a while and purchase later. But as usual, I can't wait. Within a few days, I have made an online purchase of a microscope, a beginner's slide kit, and two books about the microscopic world. I'll need to warn John that he will be receiving another package from me. Since his home is my shipping address. Periodically, his house becomes crowded with packages awaiting my pickup. At the time I order the microscope, John is already expecting 800 copies of Up the Main and a reconditioned nose landing gear strut for my paper arrow. The microscope I select is a compound binocular model, but not stereoscopic, with magnification up to 400 power and a mechanical stage for fine-tuning the slide's position under the lens using geared knobs. It uses a built-in light with rechargeable batteries for slide illumination, which seems ideal for the boating environment. I am surprised to find that modern microscopes have internal lighting, since I have only used old classroom models with a tiny mirror that must be oriented at a precise angle for an adequate view. Things have come a long way in 40 years. While waiting for the arrival of my microscope, I fiddle with the accessories that have already been received. I have slides and cover slips, storage trays, and a variety of tools, including an eyedropper and glass pipette. The package packages continue to arrive at John's house, including more books on microscopes and microscopic organisms. Since the microscope is delayed in shipment, I use the time to catch up with topics related to marine microbiology. My memory recharges quickly, even though my last view through a microscope was at the University of Buffalo in the late 1960s. One of my favorite publications is a child's book entitled, titled A World in a Drop of Water by Elvin and Virginia Silverstein. It reintroduces me to microscopic critters. I recall reading about decades ago, beginning with the ever so basic amoeba and the Cecilia propelled paramecium. I read about stentors, spirogyra, rotifers, pulmonaryia, hydra, and my all-time favorite, the euglena. The euglena is the original and still rare animal-plant crossover species with animal-like propulsion from a flagellum and self-contained plant-like chlorophyll. I read about microbiology late into the night. With a flood of enthusiasm, I relearn the basics. Like riding a bicycle, you don't entirely forget how to find your way around the microscopic world. I need some additional accessories to make my analysis of water samples complete. First, I'll require a specimen net, so I build one from the frame of a butterfly net I find mixed in with the fishnets at Canadian Tire. I sew one leg of a nylon stocking into the net's circular frame and shove a plastic jar into the toe. I add an extended handle from an old broom that should keep the net far from the contaminated boat, dock, or shoreline when I retrieve my water samples. I keep a related project clearly in focus. Powell Lake is notoriously deep, over 1,000 feet in some locations. The lake was originally an oceanic ford, fjord, carved out by an Ice Age glacier 13,000 years ago. When the ice sheet retreated, seawater flowed in and the basin became an ocean inlet. Over the next 5,000 years the land rose, rebounding at the weight of, as the weight of the glacier lessened, isostatic rise. About 10,000 years ago, the fjord was cut off from the ocean by the rising land, leaving landlocked Powell Lake. As fresh water flowed into the lake's northern inlet, salt water was pushed back into the ocean at the south end through a short outlet now called Powell River. But some of this salt water, heavier than fresh water, sank to the bottom of the lake, where it has remained ever since. What kind of a microscopic critters now live in the trapped saltwater at the bottom of Powell Lake? Professional marine biologists utilize expensive Niskin bottles to capture water from such depths, but maybe John and I can invent a simpler and cheaper method. This project is perfect for John's engineering skills, and my new microscope will stand ready to examine any microscopic life that might exist at the bottom of the lake.